Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net. Let me start with a question. Um, This is a question that my children love to ask. If you could be any animal, what would it be? You ever thought of that? If you could be any animal, what would you be? This week, I turned it round to them, and uh, this was, these were some of their answers. My son, Will, and some of his friends answered, a lion, a falcon, a llama. I don't, I don't know what that was. My son, James, came out of left field and said he wants to be a centaur. He does know that they're not real, by the way. We don't live in a fantasy world. Why do you want to be a centaur? Because they're strong. They're fast, and they're really cool. And Ted, who is seven, said, I want to be an orca. A what? (laughs) An orca whale. Right. Why do you want to be a whale? Because it's at the top of the food chain. (laughs) He then explained the food chain to me, how there's certain things that eat the green algae, and other things eat them, and the seals eat the fish, and the whales eat the seals, but nobody eats the whale. It's obviously got the makings of a a chief executive or a megalomaniac. (laughs) He's just like his mother. (laughs) She's not here today. (laughs) So if you could be any animal, what would it be? Do you know what's interesting? Nobody ever says sheep. Nobody ever says sheep. Now, why do you think that is? Sheep aren't strong. They're not fast. They're not cool. They're not at the top of the food chain. Yet throughout the whole Bible, sheep are the main image the main metaphor that's used for people, for God's people in particular. Um, Isaiah the prophet says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Psalm 95 says, Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. And along with this image of people as sheep is another image, and it's that the king, or the leader, is the shepherd. So here's a well-known passage. You, heard, you hear this being read every Christmas if you go to a carol service. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old. Do you know how it carries on? This ruler, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. You see how these images come together. The people are the sheep, the ruler is the shepherd, protecting them, standing, and providing pasture and a safe place for them. And because God in the Bible is more than anything else, the great king, he too is spoken of as a shepherd. Psalm 80 says, hear us, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. And you might know Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay, you say, that's very interesting. Thank you for the brief message about sheep and shepherds in the Bible. But what does this mean for me on Monday morning? What does it mean? Why is this Bible imagery important or relevant to your life? Does it say anything to you about your life? Well, I'm glad you asked the question. 
because this imagery is absolutely vital for our lives. It's vital for us to, gr- to grasp it, to embrace it, and actually to be taken up with it. Because there's a reason the Bible writers come back again and again and again to the imagery of sheep and shepherd and pasture and safety. It's something so significant that they want us to grasp. And here it is. I think the main point of this passage that Chris had just read is this. The Lord is our only comfort. The Lord is our only comfort. Now, why only? Surely there are plenty of things that comfort you. Yes, there are. But he is the ultimate comfort to such an extent that we can speak of him as being the only one. And you know what? All the other comforts you enjoy, whether it's comforts of relationships, family, friends, comforts of the created world, those things, as far as they are good, derive from him also. Everything you have in your life that gives you comfort comes from the hand of God. There's not a single good that we enjoy that doesn't have its source and its sustenance in the living God. Here's how the Heidelberg Catechism put it in 1563. Question one. What is your only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. It's our only comfort. We need him. We have to have him. And when we have him, he is enough. And without him, we're adrift like small boats, little skips, tossing around on the ocean waves, or like sheep without a shepherd. And that's the main point of our text today. The Lord is our comfort. Now, the Gospel of John, which we've been reading, and I think there's a slide up there uh, uh, telling you the name of our series, Life in His Name. John has a purpose and a promise. The purpose, John tells us at the end of his book, is that he wants to create believers. He wants to stir up belief. He wants to convince you. John is making a case all the way through his book of why you should believe that Jesus is the Messiah, which means God's special king. That's his case. And he says, I want to persuade you and make you believe that Jesus is not just the Messiah, but he's the Son of God, the unique Son of God, who is, in fact, God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And with this believing... The purpose of the book comes a glorious promise that when you believe, you'll have life in his name through Jesus. You can actually have life, life in all its fullness, a good life, the kind of world we all want, and life that never ends, a life that's not stopped and blighted by death and disease and darkness. That's the promise. By believing in Jesus, you can have life in his name. And in the last chapter, chapter 9, we read the story of a man He was born blind, congenital blindness. Jesus healed him. But the point of the story wasn't really about Jesus' power to heal. The point of the story was that the man was a model of faith, a shining example of what it means to believe. We learned that faith is given to those who know that they're blind. You know you don't have spiritual insight. You know you need Jesus. They are the very people who are given faith, given eyes to see. Faith obeys Jesus even when it seems ridiculous. And faith sees experiences his love and power. Now in chapter 10, we're shown the nature of the kind of relationship which faith creates. Let me put it another way. In the Bible, faith is not a kind of blind leap in the dark. You know, just close your eyes and hope it's true. In the Bible, faith is trusting Jesus Christ 
and entering into a relationship with him. So you start to live for him and through him. And so this chapter 10 is showing us the nature of what it's like to be in relationship with Jesus. And when Jesus wants to show us what it means to be in relationship with him, he doesn't give you a lecture. He gives you a picture. He doesn't give you a theory. He gives you an image. And the image, which you can fix in your mind's eye, is that Jesus is a good shepherd and we are his sheep. So there are three things we learn today about being in a faith relationship with Jesus. And they all begin with sure. Sheep, shepherd, and a sure promise of God. I had to stretch a bit for the third one of those. Sheep, shepherd, and the sure promise. Firstly, sheep. Now, I've got to be honest with you, I don't know much about sheep from personal experience. We do have a a, a woman who comes to this church who has a sheep for a pet, but she's not here today, so we can't ask her. I I don't see many sheep wandering around the streets of Manchester. My previous career was in business in London. I didn't see a single sheep in central London that wasn't mounted on a skewer. And we don't have many shepherds in the church here today, thankfully. Because, nothing against shepherds, (laughs) because they would show up how little I know about sheep. So when we come to an image like this in the Bible, we tend to go into free association mode. We think of all the things we know about sheep, and then we think which ones we can sort of Velcro onto the text. This sometimes happens in small group discussions. You may have been in a Bible study like this. Someone says, well... I like to think of sheep as, and then we're all wondering what they're going to say. Sheep are helpless, you know, sometimes they fall on the ground, they can't get up, they need to be helped. Well, and you know, a lot of preachers are guilty of this kind of free association as well. Now, I don't know much about sheep, but I do know a bit about hermeneutics. Hermeneutics, you'll know him, he played goalkeeper for Brazil in the 1970s. (laughs) Hermeneutics is the science of interpretation. And here's a rule in Hermeneutics 101. Let the text govern your understanding of the image. Let the text govern your understanding of the image, not your background knowledge or your free association. And this is really helpful because there's lots of things about sheep that I don't really want to be true of me. Sheep smell. Sheep have ticks. Sheep need an annual shearing. Of course, all of this may be true of you, but sheep are pretty stupid. And when Jesus compares his people to sheep, he doesn't mean any of those things. He doesn't actually talk about that, but he does point out two things. Sheep are vulnerable, and they follow. Sheep are vulnerable. First of all, verse 10. Have a look with me down there. Page 1076, if you've uh, closed your Bible. John 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, there's a thief. He's not interested in building up the flock. He wants to come in over the side wall. He's only interested in lamb kebabs. He's going to steal, kill and destroy and eat. The sheep are vulnerable. Verse 12 says, The hired hand is not the shepherd. He doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. You see the image here of a wolf coming? Imagine you're a sheep, and there you are. 
hanging out with your sheep buddies, chewing on a nice bit of grass, and suddenly you hear in the distance, I mean, that's going to put the, the fear into you, isn't it? What are you going to do? A powerful threat, a savage animal. What chance does a sheep have against a wolf one-on-one? Mano a mano. Even ten sheep. I mean, they are absolutely powerless. Vulnerable. They're vulnerable. They really are. And secondly, sheep follow. Now, there is choice, and there is a certain amount of willpower, even in a sheep. Look at verses 3 and 4. Jesus says, The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. So there is some element here of the sheep uh, following, choosing. They don't have to go. They recognize the shepherd's voice. They won't follow the shepherd. But the emphasis through the whole passage is that sheep are creatures that essentially need a leader. They need someone else to provide direction for them or they will choose the wrong path. They'll be scattered. They don't have a shepherd. They'll be endangered. The picture of sheep from our text is that they are easily lost. So two things emerging about Jesus' use of the image of sheep. Vulnerable and they need to follow. Now, this is not how we like to think of ourselves, is it? I don't know about you. I like to think of myself as fairly strong, fairly autonomous. I know my own mind. I like to think I can take care of myself. I'm capable, self-reliant, the captain of my own destiny. But not according to the Bible. According to the Bible, its diagnosis of your condition and mine is that we are vulnerable and we're followers. Have you ever noticed how different tribes of people all dress the same as the others in the tribe? Hipsters all dress like other hipsters. Nerds all dressed like other nerds. Goths. Ever wondered why when people want to be alternative, they dress the same as other alternative people? You know, the same is true in the realm of ideas. People tend to follow, even when they're free-thinking. It's free-thinking along established lines. We are creatures of imitation. And our culture, with its voice, has called out to us and led us down certain paths. Our culture made a promise that materialism would satisfy us, that if we went down the route of pursuing money and things and building a comfortable life, that we would find satisfying pasture. And now we find don't we, that materialism has not done what it said on the tin. It's not satisfying at all. It hasn't answered our deepest needs. We yearn for something more. People in the richest countries are the most depressed. How does it work? The first step on the road to comfort, the Lord being our comfort, is to acknowledge, recognize, and fess up to the fact that you are a sheep. You are a sheep, my friends. You are sheeps. Are you feeling sheepish? Now, this is going to take some humbling, I think. It's not what I want to believe about myself. It's not what I want to hear, but it is what I need to hear. I am vulnerable, and I need to follow. And friends, let me just say, there's no comfort for you in Jesus Christ as long as you think you're independent and you're strong. His comfort only comes to those who are humbled, to those who know that they're weak and broken and they need him, those who realize their need of him, their need of a savior, those who acknowledge, I need him, I'm vulnerable, I need to follow him. 
See, the life of faith is a relationship, and the first thing we learn about that relationship is that I'm a sheep. Who will you choose to follow? Whose voice will you listen to? Who's going to bring you safety, satisfaction? Who's going to protect you, provide for you in this life and the next? Only the Lord Jesus Christ. And he does that, secondly, because he's the shepherd. The shepherd. But what kind of shepherd is Jesus? Again, we're not going to go into free association and think of all our mental images of shepherds and try and Velcro them onto Jesus. It might be interesting, but it wouldn't be helpful. What does our text say about Jesus as a shepherd? Three things, three Gs. He's a gate, he's good, and he's God. He's a gate, verses 7 to 9. Have a look with me. Jesus said again, very truly, or amen, amen, and he says this when he's saying something solemn that he really wants you to listen to. Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved, or footnote, kept safe. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Now, the idea of a shepherd being a gate is an interesting one. It feels like we're shifting from one image to another. First of all, he's a shepherd. Now he's a gate. How can a shepherd be the gate? People who've studied these things in the ancient world have found, and indeed not just in ancient times, but today in the Middle East, sheep will be kept in a sheepfold, an enclosed area, like it says here. They're in this um, fold or this, this uh, uh, sheep, what does it call it? Sheepfold. And it's got no way in except through the front entrance, which is open. And the shepherd sleeps across the doorway. He protects the sheep with his own body. So if anyone tries to come in, a wolf or a robber or whatever, the shepherd will feel it, be aware, and and act. See, the shepherd is the gate. He lies across the entrance. Anyone coming after those sheep will have to go through him. And if you go in through this gate, Jesus says, you will be saved, you'll be safe. He's a gate. Secondly, he's good. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Good in what way? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's not like the hired hand. The hired hand is on the payroll. You know, he, he, he's there, for, he's, he's getting his pay. When some danger comes, a wolf or some, some rough types, he runs for the hills. He's only in it for the money. He's not going to be there when the sheep need him. He won't put himself in danger. But the good shepherd cares this much, Jesus says. He lays down his life for the sheep. Now, if you're a sheep and the shepherd dies for you, that's not much good to you, is it? What he's saying in the first instance is, I'm prepared to put myself in danger for you. I'm there for you. Whatever comes at you, I'm I'm there to protect you. But we know, because we've read the whole of John's Gospel, that Jesus actually lays down his life in a far bigger way, in a cosmic way. Jesus actually went to death on a cross... Not as an accident, but as his work. He did it deliberately to lay down his life to bring us forgiveness. He took on himself the penalty that our wrongdoing deserves. He took away all God's anger. He took it on himself. He absorbed it all. It's as if God's anger was in a cup. He drank it down. There's none left for you. He lays down his life so the sheep can go free. You see what this means? Jesus Christ is so anxious 
for your salvation, that he does not spare anything for you. Even his own life, he holds nothing back. He loves you so much. What kind of shepherd is this? His love for the sheep knows no limits. He will go to any length for their good. He will give himself completely. The children's Bible says he's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. It's the kind of shepherd he is. He's good. He lays down his life for the sheep. And thirdly, he is actually God. He's God. He's the great shepherd of Israel, now become a man, as we found through John's Gospel, bringing in a flock from all nations. Verse 29, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. God the Father. No one can snatch them out of his hand. I and the Father are one. They take up stones to stone him. He's claiming to be God. Now, through John's Gospel, we've learned about the wonder of God and his nature. He's not like us. He's a triune being. He's a unity of three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, all one, all sharing the same essence, but all three being distinctive persons. And they've always existed, all three of them, in a wonderful, harmonious, happy relationship. And they created the cosmos and the world, and they created us to share their joy with people made in the image of God. We thought about the relationship with Jesus. He's the word of God, who was with God in the beginning and who is God. We thought about the relationship with Jesus being the Son and God the Father and all the wonders of that and the depths of it that you could lose your mind in. And now here we get the most perhaps precious and, and beautiful insight into the heart of God, perhaps even John has got for us. And here it is in verses 17 and 18. Uh, just hear these words again, will you? The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and authority to take it up again. This command... I received from my Father. Those people who've criticized the idea of the cross as a sacrifice and who say it looks like a kind of cosmic child abuse have to reckon with these words. Jesus says, no, no, no. No one takes my life from me. I'm the strong. I lay down my life for the weak. I heard my Father's voice and I obeyed. And the Father loves me because of that. French theologian John Calvin wrote these words several hundred years ago. He became man for our sakes, and the Father loved him to the end that he might reconcile us to himself. Our salvation is dearer to Jesus than his own life. Here is a wonderful commendation of the divine goodness to us, which should ravish our whole souls into admiration, that God not only extends to us the love that's due to Jesus, but he ascribes it to us as the final cause. Here's why I love Jesus so much, because he brought you into the family. This is why my Father loves me, Jesus says. Christ himself, who came into the world to be completely obedient to his Father, confirms that in everything he does, his aim is to think of you. He's the gate, he's good, and he's God. Now, are you starting to feel it? Do you have any idea of how much God loves you? Any idea of the sheer goodness and mercy and love of this shepherd? We're sheep. We've gone astray. We're vulnerable. We're lost. We chose our own paths. 
We're following the wrong voices. And he came for us, came all the way down. He's a gate. We enter through him and we'll be safe. He's lying in the way to protect us. He's good. He lays down his life for you. And he is God incarnate. We're sheep. He's a shepherd. And there are sure promises. Finally and briefly, verses 27 to 30, Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. There's a promise here of life eternal, never-ending. Life that's beautiful. The world we all want. Eternal life. A promise of life with God. And how is our future going to be secured? How do we know that this is cast iron? Jesus says, by two hands. Verse 28, no one can snatch them out of my hand, so Jesus has got you. And then even greater, the Father, God the Father holds you in his hand. Two hands are holding you, Christian friend. Your life is secure. No matter what storms may come, God has got you. He knows you. He knows everything about you. He loves you all the same. He holds you in his hand, and no one can take you away. Christ has seen you, lost, helpless, and vile, and he set his love on you, and he came to find you. So Jesus says to you today, be confident. Be bold and be untroubled. You're in his sheepfold. This confidence is based on the fact that it's in his hand. That's the basis. Your salvation is more certain than anything else in the universe. Your faith is weak. You're prone to, wa- to waver, aren't you? You're prone to doubt, but God has taken you in his hand and he's powerful to take you through. He won't let you go. Now, as I close, I want to just apply this to three kinds of people and you might be one of them in this room. Doubters. Those of you who doubt. Some people are just uh, almost constitutionally prone to doubt. They're just always looking within and they can see no evidence that they're really a Christian and they, they just, uh, they're just afraid and they worry and they think they fail all the time and how do I know? How do I know it's all true? How do I know that God loves me? How do I know that he hasn't rejected me? I'm such a wretched person. And you looking, the problem is, friend, you're looking within. That's the problem. You need to look out at the good shepherd. Think of two kinds of people who get on an aeroplane. One person loves flying and loves knowing about planes and loves airplane food and just feels totally relaxed on the flight. The other person's like me. I'm always thinking about the flight crashing to the ground or being hit by a missile. I actually get more and more nervous as a flyer as I get older. Now, here's me. I'm sitting in the seat praying like crazy. Let us land on the ground. You know, and, and there next to me is this person who's just relaxing. Oh, I'll have another glass of wine and eating the airplane food. Oh, look out the window. Can you see that down there? I don't want to look out the window. <laughs> I want some tranquilizers. Do you know what? Those two people are on the same plane. The fact that one of them is full of doubts has got nothing whatever to do with the outcome of the landing. The object of their faith is the same. The plane is sound. Stop looking at yourself and your fears. Look to the good shepherd. That's for doubters. What about those who are distracted? You're finding life is overwhelming. You're actually living life just chasing. It's like you're on a hamster wheel. 
I've, I know people like this. It, it, it's, it, you start exerting a lot of control on your life, and, and the control starts to get a bit irritating to those around you. Like you've got everything down to the last 10 minutes. Sorry, I can't see you because it's not in my schedule because I've got the next three years planned out. What? Because I'm so overwhelmed with my life. I need to control. I've got to, you, you, know, you, you just don't have space for things because you're so distracted by all that's going on and all your, your work and your job and all the things you have to do and your, your home and all the things you have to do in the home and the house. And if you've got children, my word, the chaos they bring into life. Just when I had everything lined up, these children came in and messed it up again. You're distracted. It stops you from growing as a Christian. It stops you from committing yourself wholeheartedly to other people because they're even more of a burden. Listen, stop looking within. You're a sheep, all right? You're vulnerable. You're going to mess up. You have to follow the good shepherd. Look at how good he is. Do you think he's going to let you go, having done all that he's done for you? Stop being distracted. Focus on the Lord Jesus, the good Shepherd. And finally, those who are distressed. I know some of you are distressed. Uh, some of you have got health issues. Maybe fears for the future. Maybe fears for next week. Some of you are distressed. You don't want to go through a life single. You want a partner to share your life with. It doesn't look like there's anyone around the corner. You're worried about your family. You're worried about your loved ones. Some of you are just distressing your heart and mind and uh, you feel like you're in a prison what is your only comfort in life and death Jesus Christ says he's got you in his hand and the father's got you in his hand he is the good shepherd so yeah you're a sheep you're not a lion a centaur or even a llama. But you've got a good shepherd. Let's pray. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Gracious Lord, what can such as us say to you? You are hidden from us in immortal, invisible light. We wouldn't dare come into your presence. You're so holy unless you'd welcomed us and invited us and given us royal robes to wear. You've set your heart on us. You've seen us from a distance. You came to find us. You've called. We heard your voice in the Bible. We heard your voice in our inner being through your spirit and you've drawn us to be your very own. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name to live for you, to follow. Forgive us for our many doubts and fears and distractions and sins. Cleanse us. Lead us again, we pray, in his great and glorious name. Amen. Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net.